Clinical leadership teams from OHSU, Tuolity, and Adventist Health gathered for the third Clinical Enterprise Leadership Team meeting last week. Participants received updates, asked questions of the leadership team, and had the opportunity to listen to a keynote address on the future landscape of healthcare reform. It's Tuesday, June 12th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Josh Anderson. Ken Leoncheck gave a nonpartisan look at what's going on on the national level with healthcare reform. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to this today. Um, as you heard, my name's Ken Leoncheck. I'm with the advisory board. If you got a chance to look at my bio, you might see that I come to healthcare from a, a slightly interesting angle. I'm, I'm a, a health policy lawyer. I'm also an Episcopal priest, so I like to say I'm two-thirds of a bad joke. <laughs> if I was a rabbi walking in the bar, I'd have it all, but I don't think it on path for that. But truly, I'm excited in all seriousness to discuss with you what on earth is going on out there in healthcare because it has been a tumultuous couple of years. So in this presentation, I'm definitely going to give you an update on what's going on in Washington, D.C., what's going on with the policy, what's going on with the politics. Um, but I really want to spend most of our time on the market trends that we think are all but certain uh, at this point because despite the ongoing uncertainty in DC. We really think there's some things that you can bet on moving forward and some actions you can take to truly put yourself in a great position to continuing to deliver excellent care moving forward. So that's the ambition. Uh, this is the way I plan on going about it. I'm not gonna bury the lead. We're gonna start off with the politics and policy and what's going on in DC. But then I'm gonna spend most of my time talking about the forces and trends that are gonna shape uh, our industry. Now, I am a lawyer, which means I like ruining the punchline. So I'm gonna give you the punchline and then try to prove it after the fact. It's this. After a few years of relatively healthy margins, we are on the cusp of a new era of significant margin pressure. Because the bottom line is, nobody wants to spend more for healthcare. The federal government doesn't, private payers don't, no one in this room wants to spend more uh, for healthcare. So I'm gonna talk about the downward pricing pressures and the upward cost pressures that are poised to compress our margins as we uh, enter into the next five to 10 years. The last, the last part of the conversation uh, I'll set up, um, how do we respond? What do we do? Uh, how do we create the future that we want uh, to create here? One caveat, the advisory board is based in Washington, D.C., but we are entirely nonpartisan. We don't lobby. We talk about what is, we talk about what may be, we don't talk about what should be. We actually used to have an internal joke that it was just us and the cupcake joints in DC that were nonpartisan. That's not true anymore. They've got super PACs. It is a very divided place. So all that to say that I'm not gonna give you my political opinion. All right, with that said, let's talk politics. Uh, wow, spoiler alert, Congress has not yet repealed or replaced the Affordable Care Act. Uh, not for want of trying, it almost seemed that the GOP came so close to passing a bill so many times they ran out of acronyms. We had the AHCA, the BCRA, the ORA, the HCFA, and then finally at the very end they just went with Cassidy Graham. 
And by the time the government's fiscal year ended last September 30th, there were at least five different pieces of legislation that had all failed to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. It was a wild year. Um, frankly, it was a very stressful uh, year. And in the end, the most interesting thing is that the biggest legislative move when it came to health care didn't come from a health care bill at all. It came from a tax bill. The most prominent part uh, of the health care aspects of the tax bill, of course, is the uh, repeal of the individual insurance mandate that takes place in or takes effect in 2019. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, or CPO, estimates that re uh, the repeal of this mandate will result in 13 million fewer people with health insurance coverage. Interestingly, though, most of that is spillover effect. It's coming from Medicaid. It's coming from individual uh, employers. And this is aligned with what we think from a research perspective. Basically, when it comes to health insurance, there's a gating issue and then a major intent. The gating issue is, can I afford it? After people get past that, the question they ask is, do I want health insurance? And if they do, they buy it. We haven't found that people have been buying health insurance because they were afraid of uh, the penalty. So that's where that CBO estimate is coming from. Um, perhaps, though, the most important thing that is in this bill is the CBO's estimate that this law will add $1.5 trillion to the deficit over the next decade. That's a big number. It's also a very hotly contested number. The GOP is saying, no way, the modeling's wrong, it's gonna be much better, we're gonna make money. The Democrats are saying, no way, this is too little, it's gonna end up costing us more. So we're gonna be watching this very carefully because in all signs point to a deficit coming down the road. And if that is the case, then with healthcare spending as such a huge part of overall federal spending, we're gonna be looking at uh, continued cuts and con really tremendous scrutiny on us moving forward. So if tax reform was the first vehicle that Congress used to advance the healthcare agenda, the second that came when they were done was the 2018 budget. Now, um, as with tax reform, this ended up having a surprising amount of impact on health care. Unlike tax reform, however, this was at least a part bipartisan. So the bill finally secured some really important parts uh, of funding that we'd been watching for, uh, CHIP funding. By the way, if you want to see dysfunction in Washington, D.C., you look at CHIP funding. Who isn't for health insurance for kids? Both sides were okay with it, yet they let it go uh, forever. We also saw the Medicare extenders get their funding. Community health centers got funding. Uh, and very importantly, there's $6 billion to address the opioid epidemic. We have a ton of research on the opioid epidemic, so I'm gonna just be very brief now to say that you all know how big of a deal this is. The funding, that $6 billion, is definitely helpful. Many are hoping that there will be more coming down the path. The, the impact, though, of this bill is more than just funding. The deal also delays a number of the ACA's taxes and a number of the ACA's cuts. The Cadillac tax on individual health insurance, that's delayed. Uh, the device tax, that's delayed. And probably most significantly for providers, the dish cuts, payments that go to organizations that see a disproportionate share of underinsured patients, that has been delayed for two years. There's also some important changes to MACRA. Here's the overarching 
purpose of giving this information to you right now. While repeal and replace is gone, it doesn't mean that the conversation around healthcare reform is over. In fact, the conversation around healthcare reform is alive and well, mostly moving uh, to the states. So plenty to watch. Uh, when it comes to policy and politics. These are the questions we've been tracking, and they've stayed the same for the last two years. The first is, will President Trump continue to use executive orders to promote the GOP's policies and, and, and ideas around healthcare reform? Uh, all signs point to net yes. The next is, will the administration use uh, waivers to be able to give states broad flexibility around healthcare reform, or mainly to promote conservative principles it looks like it's moving much more towards the latter. We're seeing you know, work requirements being uh, allowed around Medicaid. Uh, we're seeing just significant uh, things that were not allowed in the Obama administration to move forward. So I think a lot of that action is gonna come from SEMA Verma and CMS and then the regulatory side of things. The final one, is Congress gonna address repeal and replace legislation or, or big picture healthcare legislation before the midterms? Almost certainly not, but there's a lot of noise coming from the conservative side of the GOP in the House right now. We don't think that it's gonna cause enough pressure to make a change, but you might hear about it uh, on uh, the news channels or when you're reading. So plenty to watch, lots of uncertainty around there in the political uh, realm. And while there is all this uncertainty, I really wanna make sure, and this is a huge point now, I really wanna make sure we don't miss the broader picture. And that's that regardless of what happens to the Affordable Care Act, the one thing that's clear is that the forces of the public policy sector, the public sector and the private sector have converged to move us into a new era of healthcare reform. And, and that's because the ACA, frankly, was an incomplete solution. In fact, I'd actually go so far as to say it did one thing really, really well, and that's it expanded coverage. 22 million Americans have access to health insurance that didn't have access to health insurance before the Affordable Care Act. But what the Affordable Care Act didn't do was it didn't bend the cost curve. In fact, I'd argue that the Affordable Care Act actually drove up health care spending. Now, if you think about it, we've got 22 million people who now have insurance coverage. That means utilization went up. And with the government footing most of the bill for this through Medicaid expansion and through the public exchanges, 84% of people who receive insurance at the public exchanges are getting a uh, subsidy, uh, and the subsidies are going up because of the Trump administration's decision to get rid of the CSR uh, uh, payments. So what it means is that the federal government is still trying to figure out how do we bend the cost curve? How do we get costs under control? This would have been the issue no matter who won the last presidential election. This will be the issue no matter who is in the Congress controlling it or who wins the next election. And it's not just the federal government. It's states and it's private payers and it's consumers and they're all going to play an important role here. And what they all have in common is that they're pushing the price of care down. Now, I use that word price very intentionally. Notice I didn't use the word cost. And that's because there's really only one group of people, that's us, that's providers, who can drive down the cost of healthcare. So what they're doing, they're using the only lever that they have available to them, 
which is price, and they're using that as a way to try to force us to cut our costs. And it's really not the best time for that kind of pressure to be happening, because as I told you earlier, as a few years of, after a few years of relatively healthy margins, um, they've begun to taper off. And deterioration, you can see on the screen, it's hitting organizations of all shapes and all sizes. This isn't an isolated event. This is a meaningful change to the underlying structure of healthcare right now. And we're not the only ones who notice this. You, you might have missed it back uh, in December, the hustle of bustle of everything's going on around holidays and whatnot. Uh, Moody's came out and they actually downgraded the not-for-profit hospital sector from stable to negative. To be clear here, this isn't a few institutions, this isn't a institution, this is the entire not-for-profit hospital sector. Solving the challenge isn't gonna be easy, but here's what we think the solution looks like. Three major challenges to tackle. First, we need to bring the cost of our operating models down. Nothing new here, this has been something we've been looking at for a long time, but the low-hanging fruit uh, is gone, and our major cost drivers are changing and shifting in a meaningful way. Next, we need to transform our care delivery model. There's going to be continual pressure from payers, from new competitors, to move towards lower cost settings, but these efforts are far from complete and will really make a need it require us to transform as we enter into a true era of consumerism and a true era of population uh, health. Finally, we need to rebuild the delivery system to be truly low cost and to move to be beyond the four walls of our hospital, get outside of a hospital-centric mentality. Uh, lots of work that can happen here, fixed cost restructuring, combining uh, assets, um, looking seriously at the social determinants of health, looking and revisiting on what health actually is beyond fixing a problem into uh, really being able to provide uh, the best for our patients so that they can reach their overall goals. And while we do it, we can't focus on cutting. We've got to grow, but our framework for growth uh, has to mature, which means looking at the assets we have now, all of them, and the ones that we may have in the future, and see how they best promote uh, health. So I'm gonna leave you with a, a set of key questions that summarize the challenges and the issues we discussed. And look, there is a lot of political uncertainty, there is a, a lot of regulatory uncertainty, but I actually think the path is quite clear. And organizations who are able to execute on the imperatives and the strategies uh, that I just discussed will be well positioned, not just to navigate the margin pressures that we talked about, but to fundamentally offer an incredibly valued product to uh, the market. You know, this is an opportunity now, because of all these challenges, to truly invent your future. And if you do this, the winners are gonna be your patients and your families and your community uh, and your state. So while there's a lot of tough stuff I spoke about, what I end with now is I see great opportunity and uh, look forward to working with you on that as we move forward. That's all I've got. Thank you so much. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communication. This episode was produced and edited by myself. I'm Josh Anderson. See you next week.